It's an Arsenal Thing podcast. Football's in our DNA. Welcome to It's an Arsenal Thing. Football's back, Arsenal's back, and Wenger's back. Mais oui. 57 games ago, we were hitting our groove and leading the pack before the unwanted World Cup. Well, that's gone. That's a distant memory. And we're back with proper, genuine football. I'm your host, Tom, and with me is a man who barely breaks sweat unless he arrives late for a free bar and a buffet. It's Silent Dave Hutchinson. <laughs> No more Roy Keane, no more Christmas ditties, and God forbid, no more turkey. It's been like that scene from The Great Escape in our house. I've been walking outside and going around the garden, releasing bits of turkey from my pockets via my trousers and treading it into the dirt. I've been putting it under windscreen wipers on visitors' cars parked outside our house, and I've been surreptitiously feeding the neighbours' pets and pushing it down nearby drains. And then, just when you think it's safe, you visit friends and family, and they've got cupboards and garages full of the stuff. No more, I say. End it now. Up next at the Emirates, West Ham were waiting under the crusty gaze of David Moyes, and we were asking ourselves, do we believe in Santa Claus and Eddie and Ketia? Oh, God! Oh, God! He's the captain of the Arsenal and they call him Old God. Old God! Old God! He's the captain of the Arsenal and they call him Old God! On the menu tonight, Connor delivers his report on the West Ham game from the Emirates, covering every blade of grass and covering every contentious moment in Gonna Get Into It. There's no Jay, there's no Lauren, there's no Nick, but they'll be back just as soon as the drinks cabinet is empty and they can't eat any more volivants, or as Dave calls them, tiny pies. Paul joins me in a two-man gun room to go over the uh, talking points. We chew over the goals and talk about what we need from the January transfer window. It's a great chat with our friend and favourite scouser. We reveal the most damaged trophy in football today and wander through the Arsenal vaults in a slightly shorter show. It's an Arsenal thing, it's an Arsenal thing. Believe it or not, it's an Arsenal thing. With football and transfers, you know you'll bring. You're listening to It's an Arsenal thing. Right, let's just have a bit of preamble. Dave's been on his holidays. How did that go? Uh, Lost a suitcase, apparently, but surprisingly for Dave, he avoided arrest. Uh, no sleeping in doorways uh, in, or in bins. You've done that before, haven't you? That's because you went with Army Jeff. Now, Podders, he's not actually in the army, but he runs an army surplus store in the market in Gravesend. Was he, uh, was he, <laughs> was he dressed in army stuff all holiday? Battle fatigues by the pool. Sniper at the disco. <laughs> oh, what a wingman. Uh, Jeff, if you're listening, might I suggest a slight tweak in the wardrobe? Just a slight tweak. Right, it's time for Connor and going to get into it with his match report on a brilliant night at the Emirates against West Ham.
The Gunners back in action. Boxing Day football is back after around one month and a half of a break after the 2022 Qatar World Cup that took place. Arsenal looked as fresh as ever. Bukayo Saka, after a terrific World Cup, was arguably our man of the match. It finished Arsenal 3, West Ham United 1 on a special, special night. A night that saw Arsene Wenger in the stadium, in the stands as a spectator for the first time since he left in 2018. And what a night it was. A night to remember Eddie and Ketia. So much attention on Eddie before kick-off, during the match as well. Of course, Gabriel Jesus' stand-in replacement until our Brazilian star man comes back around late February. But Arsenal looked terrific. Martin Odegaard, absolutely superb. One of the best performances from an Arsenal player I've seen in quite some time. He was just sensational. Granit Xhaka, Thomas Partey after Ghana and Switzerland. Well, they exited the World Cup at early stages, respectively. Well, Switzerland got to the last 16, but Xhaka was looking fresh. And Saka, I was surprised with his energy, his fluidity with Martinelli, Inketia, Odegaard, Xhaka once again in an, in an advanced attacking role. He, of course, set up Martinelli's goal in the 58th minute, the resulting match winner. But well, let's get into the team news then. And Kieran Tierney was chosen at left back as Alexander Zinchenko was fit enough for a place on the bench after recovering from his knock, his respective injury. And actually, our bench didn't look the strongest, I have to say, after Reese Nelson also picked up an injury. We did have Mohamed El Neni and also, of course, Zinchenko. And we had Marquinhos as well. And of course, Fabio Vieira. Vieira, Zinchenko and Elneny were the three substitutes to come on late on. In Well, it was a definitely, definitely not like Arteta to make such late substitutions. He brought on Zinchenko for Tierney in the 72nd minute. And Elneny and Vieira came on even later than that. So quite a strange night. But it just goes to show how comfortable... And how fluent, how fluid, how fantastic that second half performance was. We were sluggish once West Ham took the lead in the 27th minute against the run of play. And well, Saliba was reckless, sliding in. Um, And well, it was a fluid West Ham counter-attack. They looked very dangerous with the likes of Mikhail Antonio and Bernrama. Well, on the counter-attack and of course Jared Bowen, also a very, very lively winger and he really he troubled Kieran Tierney I thought at times but the Scotsman stood his ground and nullified Bowen's threat in the second half particularly but well let's get into the action then and well Bukayo Saka scored a fourth minute opener which was then ruled out for offside beautiful movement from Eddie Nketiah who produced a stunning backheeled flick into the path of Saka who swiped at it first time with his weaker right foot into the roof of the net. Fantastic finish. Lovely interchange between Odegaard, Saka and Nketia. But of course, the VAR decision was the correct one as Nketia did get a slight flick on it. And, and of course, Saka was in an offside position when Saka put the ball through for Nketia. Nketia was just offside. Saka was unlucky. He didn't mean to flick the ball into Nketia's path. But Nketia showed superb awareness to flick it back into Saka's path. Fabianski, no chance. But well, that was just a sign of things to come for West Ham. We continued to push for the opener. But then against the run of play, 
West Ham took the lead on a swift counter-attack. The penalty went to VAR in the 26th minute. Ben Rama slotting home down the middle in the 27th minute to give David Moyes' struggling West Ham side an undeserved lead. We really struggled to fashion any clear-cut chances then after that before half-time. And well, from a couple of set pieces, we went rather close. And well, Arsenal were awarded a penalty in first half stoppage time. Odegaard's, well, he was just hoping for the best, really. He swiped at it from outside the box. It was definitely heading on target. And then Cresswell's arm was in a raised position, an unnaturally raised position, but actually hit his head and not his arm. Right decision. The Arsenal fans weren't happy. Quite an inconclusive VAR decision for some, but for me it was the correct decision. If you, ha- you had to replay it a lot of times to see that it was actually the head and not the arm. So Arsenal went into the break, a goal down. And well, of course, after Newcastle's 3-0 win the day before, away to Crystal Palace, it was, uh, well, feeling like a little bit of pressure was on. Newcastle, the surprise package of this year, before Man City's away clash at Leeds, Newcastle, our nearest rival. So the pressure was on, really, for Arsenal to send a message to Manchester City and their title rivals. And Arsenal came out all guns blazing in that second half and inspired Mikel Arteta. Half-time talk, no doubt. And well, Bukayo Saka had us level in the 53rd minute. Quite fortunate, Martin Odegaard went for goal from a long way out. It was heading wide, but Saka was onside in the right place, right time. Collected beautifully, lovely first touch with his right foot before arching a lovely, cool and collected finish into the bottom corner past Fabianski in the 53rd minute. Brilliant start to the second half for the Gunners and it was 1-1. And then a quick-fire turnaround. Five minutes later, Arsenal were ahead, deservedly so. And Bukayo Saka was tireless. He tracked back. He won the ball deep in West Ham territory before finding Martin Odegaard who laid it off to Granit Xhaka. Of course, Gabriel Martinelli was hugging the touchline. He was in just inside the 18-yard box on the left-hand side. Xhaka found our Brazilian man. And then Martinelli, beautiful first touch. One touch onto his weaker left foot and bang, it was past Fabianski in a flash at his near post. Question marks over Fabianski's positioning. But take nothing away from Martinelli's finish with his left foot. He has definitely scored more goals this season with his left foot than his right. Brilliant season for Martinelli. He's proving to be a reliable goal scorer now. Our Brazilian left winger. Brilliant finish in the 58th minute. It was Arsenal 2, West Ham United 1. And our flurry and dominance continued. And what a goal. Perhaps the goal of the night was scored in the 69th minute. Eddie Nketiah with a morale-boosting, confidence-boosting finish. And what a goal it was. Well, Ben White, let's give credit to our right back. A sensational bit of skill to flick the ball over the West Ham man. And then he found Martin Odegaard on the edge of the West Ham box. Our Norwegian skipper's beautiful first time layoff into the path of Eddie Nketiah, who spun his marker brilliantly. And he was in on goal and produced a stunning finish across Fabianski into the far bottom corner. And it was Arsenal 3, West Ham United 1. With around 20 minutes to go, Arsene Wenger on his feet. A huge smile across our former boss's face. And it was just the icing on the cake, really. Martin Odegaard had two or three really good chances late on. 
but it was a brilliant response to going one goal down, being one down at half time. And well, the pressure is on Manchester City. At the time of recording, we, of course, are eight points clear of Manchester City. So can Pep's men close the gap with an away win at Leeds? It's a tricky fixture, but Arsenal looking good. Next up, Brighton away on New Year's Eve. It finished Arsenal 3, West Ham United 1. Now, the Arsenal vault. Stories from yesteryear. January the 1st, 1988, Tony Adams became Arsenal captain for a day as Kenny Sanson was rested. Kenny Sanson remained club captain until March 1988 when Tony Adams took over permanently. Alan Smith scored in a 1-1 draw against Portsmouth. On the 1st of January 1995, News of the World ran a headline after 98 games, two years, four months, two weeks, two days and one hour and 19 minutes. John Jensen scores. <laughs> yeah, he was a bit goal shy, wasn't he? On January the 3rd, 1999, Sir Alex Bluenose Ferguson notoriously launched his speech, which appeared in the Sunday Times, in which he claimed Arsenal were responsible for numerous fights on the pitch in what was the most blatant piece of public ref-fixing seen thus far. Ferguson claimed he'd apologised to Arsene Wenger, but when Arsene Wenger was approached, he said, if he sent an apology, it must have been sent by a horse. It's time to enter the gun room for a natter. Hi, welcome to the gun room. We're back. Proper football. Proper, real football. And uh, I've got with me tonight, as loads of people have disappeared, they've got other things to do, which just goes to prove that myself and Paul haven't got much of a social life. <laughs> That's what it proves. But I'm glad to have Paul with me. How are you, Paul? Do you have a nice Christmas? Uh, apart from the football, yeah, it's been, 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 been quite uh, quite close spending time with the family. Uh, sadly as ever, no design ever to, to uh, bring this dark cloud over the horizon during Christmas time. But hey, let's move on. Yeah, we were just saying, uh, myself and Paul, before we came on, that the, the, the vibe around the stadium, if the football's not very good and you're not winning, you're not getting results, um, it can become quite toxic. And Everton and Arsenal at some stage, kind of mirrored each other uh, at certain times in the season. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but poor old Paul, he's got suffering. <laughs> but uh, we move on to the Arsenal and we'll move on to lots of other stuff as well. Um, here we are back again, as I said, uh, at the top of the Premier League summit, looking on those beneath us, uh, the chicken on a beach ball especially. Um it was great to have West Ham back. We're going to cover it all in detail. All the stuff that Match of the Day ignores, uh, that Sky misses and BT is just oblivious to. Um, so, Paul, you've had a great Christmas. Uh, let's crack on with the Qatar World Cup. Match of the Day was on this morning. I caught that. Uh, they were ignoring the country's position on gay rights under the Penal Code 2004, but they felt comfortable enough to play uh, Holly Johnson, The Power of Love, which uh, was a bit of a mystery. Match of the day, sort yourself out. What's your position on these things? You just don't know. What sort of World Cup was it for you, Paul? Was it a great success? Was it? Uh, it's been billed as one of the best uh, World Cups ever. Is that the case? I, I think that's going a step too far, uh, to be honest. Tom. I mean, I think we discussed on pause previously that you know, the timing of the World Cup was, was absolutely abysmal. It gave no thought to, you know, the the, the impact on the domestic leagues. For you know, as a match-going fan, to, to to lose the access to 
the top five football for seven weeks in winter when you need something to brighten your days up uh, was really quite hard to bear. It, to me, it, it was a maybe a, maybe a slightly above average at times World Cup. I mean, the final was for seven for, for so the final for seventy five minutes was so one sided. It was it, it was of no interest, and I think the last. The finale of the dramatic two goals in 90 seconds kind of gave the final a, a, a kind of image that maybe the previous football hadn't quite justified beforehand. I mean, exercise was dramatic, but you always kind of felt Argentina were kind of faced to, to win that World Cup this year. Uh, and you know, it's, um, I think Infantino's desperate to get as many kudos out of it. Actually, as he possibly can. No, by no way was it the best World Cup ever. I've seen far better World Cups in my lifetime. Uh, but, I think the big worry for me now is that obviously seems to be behind the scenes a bit of a drive now to get the 2030 World Cup in Saudi Arabia. And if that's the future World Cups now, where it just goes to countries with with the power to buy the competition, no matter what the cost or impact is on society or the the, the major leagues in the rest of the world, I I think that's that's a worrying development. I mean, for me, 2030 World Cup has to be in Uruguay. The centenary of the 1930s, well, it just has to be. Uh, and if you move to Saudi Arabia and play, play in the middle of winter again, well, I don't know, I, I might have to talk to you think my relationship with international football. <laughs> this is why he's here, because he gives you it as it is. And uh, it's unbiased, so that's why Paul's here, and that's why we love him. Um, Paul, one of the good things to come out of this was uh, the amount of time added on. Because mm. in the domestic <clears throat> game, I mean, if you count it up, I was trying to look for the facts and the figures, but you, you get like a little bit of arguing, a little bit of bickering, and then there's the spray on the floor and all this sort of thing. All these things add up, the injury time. You never really get it back, do you? They put three, no. three four minutes on, and you've lost 10 minutes. Well, um, Pierluigi Colina, do you remember him? He looked nice. like um, oh, John Luke uh, Picard. I think Everson fans have many reasons to remember Pierluigi Colina, none of them favourable. <laughs> but he did come up with this idea of he did. The time he you did. lose independently is going to be stuck on at the end. So more often than not, you were getting like ten or so minutes, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. which was excellent from a fan's point of view. Yeah, if you were paying good money to go and watch, and you're yeah. losing ten minutes or so because someone's rolling around doing cartwheels on the floor, uh, then it's not very good. Um, yeah, I thought I thought that was fine, Tom, because what what was quite good about that was it it just it just kind of. These days in a Premier League game, if you're training by an odd goal with five minutes to go stoppage time, you know the opposition's got to kill stoppage time by bringing other substitutions, rolling round, kicking the ball in the corner, and, and the game's gone. So it was quite good to see that if you took that approach, time was going to be added on. So I thought that worked quite well. Yeah, excellent. I think it needs to be adopted throughout all over the globe. Um, just want to pay tribute to the 1966 winner, George Cohen, who passed away on the 23rd of December aged 83, um, thoughts and regards to his family. Right, so before we start, uh, Melina Birch, who we're hoping to get on the podcast at some stage, has come out with a, a tweet, and it was 40 out of 45 points that were possible after 15 games. Arsenal's best ever start to a league position. She's just worked that out. Uh, this season has been the best start ever uh, to Tottenham since 1963-64. She had to mention that, didn't she? Yeah? <laughs> you have to rub it in a little bit. Um, so, uh, Wenger was back uh, at the Emirates, first time since 2018. It, it was nice to see him back, wasn't it, Paul? He's he's kept away, and I can understand his reasons, but it it's about time. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, 
when I saw Vega at the ground last night, I was kind of wondering, you know, quite often you see Alex Ferguson as the spectre in the background when United are, are maybe struggling at home and you, and you kind of you know, question, is it helpful to be there? But I think the Wenger circumstances is different because he hasn't been back for so long. And you, you could almost view it as a mark of recognition that he wanted to pick a game to come back at a time when Arsenal were playing really, really good quality football and were in a really strong position as well. And um, Wenger signed our test as well, didn't he? So it, it was quite good to see that kind of relationship still exist between them as well. And it was good to see the Arsenal fans response to it as well when his image was flicked up on the screen after he was celebrating, I think it's the second goal. Uh, so yeah, it, it it, so it, I, th- I think it's quite me, me, a club like Arsenal with such a rich heritage and history. You, know, you have to bring these influential figures back from your past and just remind some of the younger generation. Look, this is Arsenal Wenger. You might not, you know, you, you need to understand what where this club was before he joined us and what he did to the club in this space of time. Well, there was there's no Emirates without him, that's for sure. And uh, the first I noticed on social media is quite weird because. Uh, there was a lot of fans that were pleased to have him back and uh, we were kind of reminiscing about what he did for us. And then you had the odd, nasty comment, which I thought, get over yourselves from what mm. you enjoyed for 10 years. And then maybe the next 10 years weren't very good or they were patchy or indifferent or whatever. And he had to go in the end. Of course he did. Uh, yeah. He was there for a long, long time and you, you get stale, you run out of ideas and maybe don't have the clout or the... Uh, the technical vision that you used to have. But he was an integral part of Arsenal's history. And I, for one, was glad to see him back. And it, it made me go warm and fluffy, even though I didn't want him out in the end. Uh, I want him out in a in a respectful way, if you can ever do that. Um, I, I think you have to credit Wenger for the way he changed the perception and image of Arsenal as a footballing team. I know there was great success under George Graham, but by no stretch of imagination was George an entertainer. And I think Wenger, you know, just kind of uh, completely revamped the image of Arsenal in the general public in terms of what a footballing team they were. And of course, you, you cannot underestimate the whole changes you made to the dynamics, the training, the food, all those sort of things. I mean, I remember reading Tony Adams' first biography. And it's just brilliant insight into how you managed to get those players who were set in a certain way of training and playing into his way that he wanted football to be conveyed under his leadership. So his impact, not just at Arsenal, but on the Premier League, has been absolutely immense. Yeah, they're talking about having statues built outside for maybe next year, which I think is a, is a huge honour. And I wouldn't deny him that. And I definitely would have a stand named after him if we could fit one in. Uh, and if we could... Not that we can, but if we could give him a, a knighthood, because they don't do that for <laughs> foreigners. But I would do that as well, because he was a revolutionary of uh, the English game. Uh, he revolutionised it from top to bottom. And he, he bought, well, without him and Ferguson, there was no Premier League, was there really? Because it was that edginess yeah. of battle yeah. that really pulled the Premier League through and started getting Sky going through the motions. Anyway, West Ham struggling uh, compared to last season or the season before. Um, it's quite noticeable. They they haven't got a goal-scoring thing that we were talking about with Everton. That's their main loss. Uh, whereas Arsenal, at the moment, are back in touch with their DNA. So, um, what did you think of the game, Paul? What did you think about uh, the game before it kicked off? 
Well, I think we discussed on, on the previous part, hadn't we, about you know what, what the outcome of, of the match would be. And I think I, I stated it sounds quite confident. I think you as well, Tom, that it should be an Arsenal victory because West Ham are not in the, in, in the best available. And I think our only kind of a slight concern would have been it's a London derby. You never quite know what's going to happen. I, I don't think and the layoff as well. The layoff yeah. was quite low, was it? Yeah. Six weeks? It was. I, I, you never quite know what frame of mind the players are going to come back in. I also don't, don't think 7.45 kickoff it, it, it is a great time either in terms of, uh, you know, for, for fans to get to the game, to get home from the game. And it's kind of, you know, the tension's building up all day. You've seen the other results, how they're going. And, you know, that kind of puts a bit more pressure on the outcome of the game. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 just, I just think, uh, I know we're, we're going to discuss the game some some more detail, but I, I just thought the whole, as a new judge, I just thought the whole performance was incredibly impressive from, from start to finish and I think the resilience that was shown by the team to come back after you know, the penalty was conceded was was, was quite reassuring for, you know, uh, from, from the fans' perspective as well. Yeah, it was... Uh, I, I was confident, I must admit, but uh, you never know that layoff, uh, what it can do. Then we lost Jesus as well, so mm-hmm. you've got to bring Eddie and Ketia there's been yeah. a lot of to-in and fro-in. Is he good enough? Is he up to the level or is he a level below? Uh, we'll discuss all that, obviously. Um, West Ham's problems, as we said, were goals. And I think they're 13 goals behind where they were last season. Uh, they've got some great players, but they can't dominate. You've, you've got some stars, but they, they just don't fit together at the moment. But enough of them. Let's talk about the Arsenal. Uh, 4-3-3 formation. Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Ben White. William Saliba, Gabriel, Kieran Tierney. Quite surprised by that one. Thought Zinchenko was going to be straight in there. Martin Odegaard, uh, Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka, Bakayo Saka, Eddie Nketiah, as we mentioned, and Gabriel Martinelli. Um, as I say, we'll get to the goals, but uh, let's do it now, actually, because I'm, I'm quite excited <laughs> to get to them. Uh, five minutes in, and Arsenal had the ball in the net with some great interplay between Odegaard, Saka and Nketiah. But in the build-up, which, I mean, it was marginal. This one was marginal. Didn't see it in real time, but it apparently caught Saka's heel making the playoff side. Um, you obviously watched the game. What did you feel about this decision? Because there was a couple of marginals in this game, and this was one of them. Yeah, definitely. You did kind of wonder if the, uh, if the FIFA World Cup system with the semi-automated offside technology, whether that one might have stood under that system, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, it, it was, a, it was a harsh decision. Uh, but fortunately, it didn't, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. And it's always quite frustrating, is it, when you see, uh, a, a, when the players put together a piece of skill, in terms of the movement, the passing, the position. Beautiful movement and, as well, wasn't it? And, and, exactly. And it, it cuts the defence apart. It's a brilliant goal. And it's almost kind of ruled out on a technicality. I know you can't be like a, a sticker to the rule type person. Well, he was offside, he's offside, that's it. But no, there's more to it than that. You know, there's got to be, there has to be some kind of understanding that, you know, uh, you weren't seeking to gain an advantage by this. You know, it was just a, a well-worked move. And, you know, for it to be disallowed by a fraction of like that is hugely frustrating. Uh, I'll tell you what I missed was all the little lines. I love that. Yeah. When they get all the lines yeah. out and you go, yeah. get away with you. It's a fingertip. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Wipe your glasses. Anyway, uh, let's uh, get on. I I was one that thought, uh, come on, you know, you're just splitting hairs now. And it, it, I don't know. I uh, You know, did he clip it on purpose to feed it on or did it just hit him on the heel? 
Don't know. Anyway, 26 minutes on. Uh, penalty to West Ham. Antonio cruises down the wing, interchanges with Bowen, putting the winger through into the penalty area. Saliba puts in a measured slide to poke the ball away. Uh, doesn't really take the opponent. Just whips underneath his um, sort of airflow, I suppose. And Bowen goes to the ground. Marginal again. Uh, what did you make of that? I was going, no, 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 no. <laughs> It's the modern game, of course, isn't it, Tom? You know, if, if an attacker feels just like the touches, they're going to go down and make it seem a lot more, a, a, a lot worse than what it actually was. Yeah, it, it was Mars. I'd have been quite unhappy if that had been given against Everton any stage. So I can understand your frustrations with that. I think all you could say is that maybe uh, even possibly mistimed us slightly, was slightly out of position. I, I don't know. That could be me being incredibly harsh here. But yeah, it, it was no force of decision. And at, at, at that stage of the game, when Arsenal clearly dominated possession, they created the better chances, they had a goal this for the Marathon. We were the better team, weren't we? We uh, were just uh, yeah, like, everything absolutely. about us looked like we were, it was a bit, there was a couple of, there was passes that were short or passes mm-hmm. that were long, but you got it, you know, in the training sessions that they've been doing in Dubai or wherever, um, it's not the same intensity. So there's no, going to no. be a little bit of rust. And I think as well, you have to almost compare the game at the weekend to the start of the season because you have this six-week break. So there's going to be a bit of rush just, you know, that, that kind of, you know, intuitive understanding between players and there's a passing of who is not going to be quite there yet because there's been that, that, that seven-week hiatus between, you know, uh, the team planes together cohesively. So yeah, it, it's, um, it, it was, I think in previous seasons, <clears throat> The crowd might have got a bit restless at that stage. I think in previous seasons there might be this, this thing of you know. I think as well, given the fact that Jesus wasn't was, wasn't playing, you no, know, you can suddenly see you can understand that people start to get a bit concerned and you know put pressure on the team. But I thought the reaction of the crowd was superb. They, they, they stood with the team. They'd obviously seen in the first twenty five minutes or so that this is a quality we're top of the league we don't help the team that's top of the league by getting on the backs of this stage we we stick behind them we support them we believe in what we're doing well there was enough to to keep you going uh it's it's funny how the live atmosphere and uh because a friend of mine went there and i watched it on the telly and at, at one point on the telly you could hear a pin drop it sounded really low like they were fed up and then I spoke to him and he said, uh, no, it's brilliant. Everyone was all behind the team. So it's it's interesting from a media point of view how they could kind of turn it all down and make it yeah. sound like everyone was getting uh, a, a bit edgy. Anyway, so to the penalty, 27 minute, uh, Ben Rama uh, straight down the middle uh, past Aaron Ramsdale against the run of play, as we said. So those two marginal decisions. Sacker offside and Saliba on Bowen. 45 plus five. There was a penalty awarded against Cresswell, uh, deemed to have handled it uh, in real time again. I mean, it was quite hard. When I first saw the hand go up, I thought, oh, yeah, that's that's handball. But VAR revealed it hit his head. There's no argument with that, is there? Um, it, it was quite a tough If you're the referee as well, in a split second, and he goes like that and the ball comes off, you're going to think it. So you can't really criticise Oliver, although he's not the most uh, generous man when it comes to yeah. Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I understand that. And I think as well, we, I mean, we, you know, we often spend 
not just that I have a lot of podcasts spend time criticizing VAR decisions, but I think that that's a good example. Well, I see VAR work quite effectively because there was the penalty, but in real time, it, it did look like a penalty, and you can understand why, why it, would, it would have been given. And I think as well that well, I think you looked at the Arsenal players' reaction, you can see they didn't quite think it was a penalty either. You know, just by the way, they did, you know, they were kind of uh, approaching uh, Michael Oliver to, to try and get the decision in their favor. So, but obviously, what you know, that would have been a real positive way to end the first half after two decisions had gone against Arsenal to get one in their favour to give them an opportunity to equalise before the interval. I would have been quite happy with 1-1 one, one at half-time. I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm just, sure you would have been. Just pulled it out of the fire, but I was like, <laughs> oh, damn. When I saw it played back, I was like, damn, it's his head. Um, so, where were we after that? Um, well, West Ham made it rather awkward for us, didn't they? Arsenal huffed and puffed without a real clear-cut chance as such. Uh, West Ham did well controlled and physical, but with no real threat up top, as we keep saying. David Moyes would have been quite happy with that at the whistle. So we're trailing at the break, but inside a dramatic five-minute spell in the second half, we were 2-1 up. Let's do the first goal, Paul. Uh, Saka timing a run onto the defence or into the defence onto a, a, a splitting ball. Uh, a 25-yard shot or a pass, it, the jury's out from Odegaard. He showed great composure, didn't he? He did. I mean, I, I mean, I, I he mean, kind of hovered round the back. I, I think, as as a jury member, I have to say, I don't think that, that pass is quite intended, but I can understand why you, you, you draw that conclusion. But but, <laughs> but, but but it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's how you then react to that. And I think the touch from Saka to control the ball and then the precision of where he positioned the ball past, because Fabianski is a, is a good keeper, as you well know. Yes. You know, he, 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 you've got to place your shot accurately to get past him because his reach as his tall goalkeeper, when he gets down, he can cover a lot of the, of the goal line as well. I just, I just, I just thought it's a hugely composed finish from somebody so young. And I, I think, I think I've said this before. I think Saka has just come on. In leaps and bounds as a player this season, he to me he he's up a level, maybe two levels from the player he was last season, and I think I, I, I can't got this. What, he believes, thing. doesn't he? He's, he does. Uh, he's, he's got it in his brain now. He was good before because he's been running like that at Hale End all the time. He's he's been attacking and playing that style of football, but Arteta has has kind of uh, jiggled his brain in such a way that it's every week now. Would you think, Tom, that maybe the divide of Gabriel Jesus on the training ground has had a positive effect on Saka as well in terms of, you know, coaching him, you know, making make the moves from showing that, you know, how to get around defenders, bringing that experience to the, to the training ground that he's learned from as well, possibly? Yeah, it's, it's the bar. Is, that was the bar yeah. last year. The bar is there, especially with Zinchenko and Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. He's seen Jesus do some phenomenal things, you know, mm-hmm. five or six players, and he just jiggles through them. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the level, as you say, has come up. Uh, right, so let's uh, let's wax lyrical about the next one. 58 minutes, uh, and uh, I've got to tell you, my son, who's, who's coming up to three next year, he was behind me. He's never watched a football game in his life. <laughs> but he, was, he was going, yeah. And we were high-fiving and all that sort of stuff. So it's brilliant. Uh, so he's definitely a gooner. Um, 58 minutes, 2-1. Odegaard finds Xhaka in space on the edge of the penalty area. And Xhaka plays it to his left to Martinelli. Uh, the winger dribbles uh, to the byline and dispatches. Uh, it was really good because between his feet, left and right, he just 
I thought he was going to stop and then try and thread a, a pass through, but he didn't. And he hit it low into the right-hand corner of Fabianski's goal. Um, Fabianski is taking some some crap for that, but it was a hell of a shot. Really low, really hard and really precise. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I wouldn't put that down to goalkeeping at all. I, I definitely give the credit to Martinelli for having the confidence to take that shot. So, and like you, I thought he was shaping to cross the ball back across the penalty area, but obviously he, he must have seen the slightest of gaps because the precision to get that ball into that ten, that, 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 that smallest of spaces between the goalpost and Fabianski's foot, it, 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 it was almost like, you know, Guessing out in old school terms, a slide rule and working out what the gap was because I was the power of the shots as well. I mean, you know, a shot hit with power, uh, from that distance is always going to cause a goalkeeper problem. But I think as well, it's what it's it's the way Artessa's coach players have belief in their own ability that in situations like that they can improvise and they feel the shot is on, then go for it and definitely reap the benefits of that with that decision during the game as well. Absolutely. Now, if you're confused, if you saw me one minute holding up a cup of tea and then the next minute I'm I'm on this, um, well, what do you expect? It's coming up to me here. I've got a Budweiser and a cup of tea on the go. Don't judge me. Um, right. Uh, what you got in there, Paul? Uh, well, it's my Goodison mug. <laughs> he's got the old Goodison mug, isn't he? Um, pressure on and pressure off. 69 minutes. Uh, Jesus was in sick bay, as we know. So we've uh, got Eddie and Ketia filling in, who hasn't... Uh, he's got the natural ability, but the jury's out on whether he can provide the same sort of impetus and threat that Jesus does. Um, but let's get to this goal because it was the standout, wasn't it, really? It was the goal of the match for me. Um, White dances into space uh, past Ben Rama before firing the pass to Odegaard. That man again. Uh, he's on the edge of the penalty area. The Arsenal captain instinctively pokes a ball through to Enketia. Now, it's what Enketia does from this moment, Paul. Walk us through that because it, it was a peach, wasn't it? It's the turn and the swivel, isn't it? He just sees the defenders, you know, floundering, going in completely the wrong direction. By doing so, he creates space for himself. And then, like Saka's finished for the first goal, it's having the confidence to place the ball out of the reach of Fabianski into the corner of the net. And, you know, I, I, I watched so many forwards fluff those sort of chances in that kind of situation. But I think at that stage, the whole team were playing with such confidence that, that I know Enkets had had a few chances before in the first. I hadn't quite delivered, and but uh, he, he just took it so well. I think, I think you, you kind of, I think some people underestimate that he is an actual goal scorer. You, you look at his record for England the twenty ones. That was seven, absolute proof, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Seventeen games. Do apologise. Don't know what that is. Keep making that racket. But carry on, Paul. We carry on. We're I think professionals. Exactly. <laughs> I think we are indeed. Certainly, say, uh, <laughs> but I, th- I think for the England under 21s he's played 17 games, has scored 16 goals. Though that's a prodigious return. So uh, you know, and, and for, when you think pre-match, the amount of pressure he must have been on with Jesus not playing, it would be quite easy for a young player like that to go back into his shell, not to be too adventurous, just try to do the simple things. But you know, he had the confidence, the verb, you know, to, to, to take the. To anticipate the pass, to get 
position for to leave the defend send the defender one way, take himself the other way, and curl the ball around Fabianski. It was just just a it was a top class finish. You know, if that if that be scored in the World Cup, that would be up there with the top ten goals in the competition. When you look at the whole building, I mean, that's shimmy from Ben Weiss. I mean, that was just. I mean, that that, that he played that really like, well yesterday. Oh, to be honest, he, I think that's his best game in an Arsenal shirt. He really did. I mean, for a player who suffered a fair amount of criticism as well, I think last season when, when he first arrived at Arsenal, I think he was getting kind of castigated for some perceived defence inadequacies in certain games. But I think he's really come on leaps and bounds as well. And uh, he, he, his his pushing forward like that brings an extra dimension to Arsenal's wide play as well and gives the opposition defender another problem to deal with. And you know, for uh, a defender, I thought his passing was exquisite. It was just a brilliant through ball. He's got the feet he... of a midfielder, hasn't he, Paul? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like a hoof it. No, uh, absolutely. Uh, whether that's down to you know, Graham Potter originally of Brighton and Arteta's uh, kind of worked on that as well. But yeah, it was it was, it was a brilliant passing movement from start to finish. And it, and it was finished off sumptuously by Nketiah. And in terms of, uh, you know, doing his confidence to world the goods, that, that, that would have been a real boost for him. But also, I think from, from the team's perspective, all the questions beforehand were about who's Jesus isn't playing. Now that's going to have a real negative impact on the team, which arguably it may do at some stage. But yesterday, three different goal scorers. So what you want is other players to step up when your main goal scorer is not available. And you know, I'm sure from Artessa's perspective, he couldn't have asked for things to have gone better than three different goal scorers step up, score three quality goals, and it's almost at the end of the game, Jesus, Jesus, who you know, obviously. His, his influence is missed, but you can only respond by showing we're not a one-man team. Because I think lots of things I've heard about Arsenal this season always kind of indicate that without Jesus, they're not quite the same team. Well, you know, judging by the performance yesterday against West Ham, that's patently not true. It was a brilliant team performance, and people responded to the pressure well. They showed the resilience to come back and go behind. They didn't panic. They kept playing their normal game, and they got the rewards for it. Well, the thing about that uh, goal as well, where you're saying about the turn, was there was an interesting piece of analysis. And I won't say it too often, but it came from Dion Dublin, Holmes Under the Hammer. Uh, he was on there and he said, as he was going round, he said he, the, left, the left arm of Enketia was feeling for the defender, then the right arm. And when he put the right arm down, he could feel where the defender was. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, and when he was over to his right, then he span to his left, which is a classic sort of striker's trick. But he performed it beautifully. Mm-hmm. I have worried about Eddie Nketiah. I yeah. want to see him do well. I want to see him do well because he's a young lad and he's one of our own. He's come through the uh, academy system. So I really, really want him to succeed. But he just hasn't taken his opportunities when he's been given them. So, Paul, is this his launch pad? Is this the one where he starts from square one and goes through the 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 golden doors with the golden ticket? Is this the one? Well, I think I mean basically that's down to him, isn't it? How, how, how he responds to that. But I think you know, I'm, I'm sure after the game and during training this week, Arteta will be really working on his confidence. You know, he, he's he's proved he proved the point yesterday, and really, you know, he can only go on and build on that. And obviously. Um, a couple more goals in the next few games would we'll, we'll, we'll do the world of good. But but I think what's important, Rob and Kessie points you, and you see it in Jesus as well, is if you're not scoring, 
then you've got to bring something else to the team. So if he does go through a banner spell, which he's going to at some stage, he's got to contribute in other ways to the team by creating chances, by creating opportunities, by creating passes. So the goal scoring obviously is hugely important, but there will be times when you don't score. And that's when, as Jesus has shown perfectly, you contribute in other ways to the team. You tap opposite defense and, and create opportunities for your teammates. So yeah, it is, it is a launch pad for him. Um, I know Arthur have got quite a difficult one of the fixes coming up as well. So you know, that'll be an interesting test of his abilities. Talk but, about those in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, 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 but that's always, always going to happen during the course of the season, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, but I think he, you know, he can be well pleased with his performance. I, I, it, it kind of begs the question though, doesn't it really, you know, if, um, I think Arteta's, unless he's playing mind games with the media, I don't know, it's made it quite clear he's in the market for another striker. Now, I mean, I'm not quite sure how many high-quality strikers are going to be available in January. So, so whether he's using that as a as a bit of a a bit of uh, a, a, a bit of encouragement for Enketia in terms of look, I need you to deliver here, otherwise we're going to bring a new striker in. Uh, I don't know. I mean, would you be happy with a new striker coming in, Tom? Um, I th- I think we're on dodgy ground here because if he gets a knock, if he uh, is out for five or six weeks, we're going to be banging trouble. We'll be putting a, a, an untested player in there. So I think it makes sense to just go and get a loan. Yeah. Someone yeah. experienced who's maybe not either, either of those two players, but someone who can keep it all together, keep it ticking over. Um, I'd be tempted to go and get someone on loan. I really would, because as I say, if anything happens to Eddie, we're up shit creek without a broom head. Um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, it's, it's a difficult one, but he scored 11 in 11 starts. I mean, yeah. it's quite remarkable figures, isn't it? Um, it, it is. <laughs> he, he, he does all the running. I mean, there was times when he was peeling off and he was breaking through and there was no end result. But when it worked, I mean, if that had been Thierry Henry, uh, it'd be splashed everywhere, wouldn't it? Uh, he got a fair bit of coverage, but it deserved a bit more actually because he's he's ten times younger, and uh, you know than half of these experienced players in the Premier League. Yeah, he took it like a veteran. Yeah, and you made the point before as well, Tom. He's a homegrown player, and I think there's more pressure on homegrown players. I think I think fans are actually more critical of the homegrown players than they are of the people who brought in for big money fees at times. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on him, but uh, hopefully, we're, we're, you know, the, the crowd were brilliant. So, uh, you know, fair play to them. There were some great battles in the middle, uh, mainly involving Declan Rice, funnily enough, because <laughs> yeah. he, he had a bash with Thomas Party. He mm-hmm. was in there with Odegaard and Saka. Um, he really needs some genuine help, doesn't he? Uh, he he's like the Lone Ranger in West Ham's team. I've uh, got a bit of snot or something on my glasses. <laughs> Let me get that off. And I'll give you the match stats, Poggers. That's what I'll do. Um, obviously, it was 3-1. Um, Arsenal, 16 shots to West Ham's eight. Uh, five shots on target for Arsenal. Surprisingly, four on target for West Ham. 67% possession for us, 33% for them. 657 passes for us, 331 for them. It shows we had uh, a little bit of class there. We were really making it count. 89% pass accuracy for us and 75% for them. What worried me, Paul, was uh, when I I was doing my analysis on the first half and obviously we weren't making that breakthrough. I was thinking, what are we going to change? How are we going to liven it up if it stays like this after 60 minutes? And then I looked at the bench and... uh, 
a, a wave of fear went over me. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, bloody hell. Because I don't know whether you looked at the bench, but I, I did, Holby, I did. Cedric, yeah. Yeah. Fabio Vieira, who's, who's, who's coming up, he's yeah. doing all right, yeah. Sambi Laconga, untried, untested, really, El Nenny, mm. uh, Quinos, uh Turner, Zinchenko, there's your banker, mm. and someone called uh, Cozy Adubri, who I, I've heard good things about, but I was thinking to myself, Blimey, there's not much depth there. You can't really, no. realistically, change too much, can you? No, and I think as well, Tom, that, that kind of underlines the point that's been raised on the pod a few times this season. That, you know, um, lack of depth in, in the squad is something that might have to be addressed in the January window, certainly in terms of being experienced. In. I know even up with the injury list, you've got, you've got, you've got Smith Rose quite close to being fit again. So, so he, he, he's That'd a good be a option. massive one for us. Yeah, it, it, it will be, yeah. It'll be good to have. Have impact as well, but but beyond that, there's not there's not a huge amount of of, of resources then in, in the squad to call upon. So, I think you, what you you're saying before about possibly being an experienced striker alone, I think you know as well. You're probably looking maybe you know some 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 more cover in defence and maybe a, a, another person comes in midfield because, um, I think this season more than any players with the World Cup, etc., are going to be more prone to injuries as the season progresses. And you, you you need to get to the end of January confidence that you've got the you've got the ability within the squad to cope with those kind of setbacks. Absolutely. Uh so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that because uh, I'm sure everyone's got their own ideas of what we need. Um for me it is someone to cover 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 party and Jacka and someone to take the heat off Saka or Martinelli, someone who can play left and right, maybe. Um, but definitely a loan, a loner until the end of the season uh, up top. So, player of the match. We can't say man of the match anymore. It's a bit sexist. <laughs> player of the match, Paul, who was yours? I picked well, mine no. at half time and it just got better and better. I know what yours is going to be. So, yeah, in the interest of continuing uh, having a debate here, uh, I, I'd be glad to give it to Saka. I, I think his goal was crucial in just stop igniting the, the momentum that got Arsenal the, the three points. I think his contribution during the game was, was outstanding. And uh, I think, you know, the, the ability, the verb he brings to the team uh, and that, you know, little touch of a showmanship he brings to the side as well. So it's a close call. I, mean, I, I think, you know, most rational people will, will, will give us it over the guard. I thought, I thought you, you know, I, I know you, you, you try to give him credit for that pass to Saka's first goal, but, uh, uh, uh but yeah, I, I thought, I thought Saka played really well. Got a magic wand, that guy, hasn't he? <laughs> I was just trying to look for the... Um, I had a printout of uh, what they said. Uh, oh, here it is. It's a printout of the ratings for the for the players. Uh, Ramsdale, 4.0. White, 4.1. Saliba, 4.0. Gabriel, 4.0. Kieran Tierney, 3.8. I thought it was a little bit better than that. 4.5 for Odegaard. 4.1 for Thomas Party, 4.2 for Xhaka. And uh, 4.5 for Saka, 4.1 for Enketia, and 4.5 for Martinelli. Um, yeah, my man of the match. Uh, I, I I just love the boy. Any excuse to talk about him, really. Martin Odegaard, um, the, the passing, the vision, the touches, the tracking back. Um, he put in a real captain shift. But for me... That's his best performance in an Arsenal shirt. 
Um, how much do you watch in, uh, enjoy watching this guy, this thirty million pound Real Madrid reject? Um, it, it's stunning, isn't it, Paul? That he's he's just making a nonsense of that transfer, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's kind of finally lived up to the ability. Of, you know, he was he was being held as this teenage wonder kid, wasn't he? When he when he made the move from Norway to Real Madrid, and you can't underestimate the amount of pressure that puts on young shoulders when you've got this expectation that you, you you're going to be the next the next like Galactico at the Bernabeu. Uh, so I, I think he, you know, he he's learned from that experience. Uh, yeah, I mean the more to see of of Odegaard, I'm just I'm impressed by his anticipation. I'm impressed by his understanding of where the ball is going to go. I'm impressed by his kind of positional awareness. He seems to know where players are. Impressed by the precision of his passing. I also like his tackling as well. He, he, he also spots well, He's not danger. scared, is he? he no, he's not scared. I mean, it's interesting. I thought it was interesting. He's no good at it, but he gets it. <laughs> Well, I thought it was quite good yesterday comparing him with Declan Rice, you know, because the, the kind of being, you know, the, the two of the best midfielders arguably in the Premier League at the moment. I, I kind of thought, you no, know, he came out superior on that comparison last night because, because I thought his drive, his passing contributed, you know, uh, as a, as, as a, a really important factor in Arsenal's success and the victory. Um, I've just had a uh, just had a text in. Let me have a look. It's, uh, I think it's the guys, uh, Lauren and Connor. Uh, so Lauren's coming back on the, I think it's on the 28th. So that'll be good to see her again. And, uh, Connor's going to join us in January and Jay's, Jay's at some sort of soiree. Uh, and Nick's, I don't know what Nick's doing. He's doing something else. Uh, something more okay. interesting than talking to us, obviously. Um, but the, the, yeah. the, the, these, these are the circles Jay moves in these days, aren't they? <laughs> um, yeah, talking about um, Martin Odegaard, uh, I put a post out on Facebook on the 27th of December 2021, and I put his worth every penny. Uh, a little bit of Ozil, a little bit of Dennis, give it a stir and you get Odegaard. Now, his moment of the match for me, Paul, I don't know whether you call it, Odegaard was in superb form all night, as I said, but uh, there was a backhill nutmeg between Gerard Bowen and Paqueta. Uh, that proves just how good he yeah, is. He's, yeah. he's right tight to the line. I keep saying it's bad this. Bad line, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and he's got zero space, and he does yeah. this a lot. You've got two yeah. players on him, and you think he's, he's going to lose the ball easily. And he did this little beautiful mm-hmm. back heel, and they were like, and it reminded me of uh, the Dabby Das Bergkamp uh, mm-hmm. episode when he just left him for dead. And yeah. it was so cute. It was so savvy. And I was so impressed. Uh, what did you make of things like that? I mean, but he was doing that all night long. He really did boss it. And I know Thomas Party did his bit. But uh, I kind of overguard with all that, that shiny, polished performance overshadows him, doesn't he? Yeah, but I think that, that that little flick, that little that, that little sequence was, was kind of the actually got on, on the cake for the performance because it was a good team captain's performance as you write yeah. outlined there, Tom, all the way through the match. I think he deserved the opportunity to show, hey, tell you what, we're three one up. There's not long to go. Let me just show, <laughs> let me just show what I can do here, given half the chance. No, and, and things like things like that really give the crowd a boost as well, don't they? You you come away from the game. Thinking, That's what you, you pay you, your money for, isn't it? Yeah, These you, little you, images exactly. In your mind. Yeah. And you, you can guarantee, you know, that, that when the schools you be one or two kids trying trying to try that move on the playground, you know, trying to do an over the guard and stuff like that. So it, it's really good. So and many good performances. It's, uh, as it's well. about entertainment. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, yeah. um, 
when I used to go to Highbury and watch the likes of Henri and Pierre and Perez and Lundberg, uh, I mean, the list is endless, isn't it? Uh, even the even kind of the second string, the wheel tours and, and people like that, you got genuinely excited. And people like uh, Martinelli, I mean, he really gets me off my seat. Every time, he, he just, he's, he's looking at the goal. He's just got nothing else in his mind. It's just going to go forward. He's not going to go backwards. He's not going to go sideways unless he can help it. Um, and Saka. So you've got an immense front uh, front three when Jesus is there. Um, but now en- Eddie Nketiah could probably prof- uh, profit. I don't know what's matter with my teeth tonight. Uh, could probably profit from that sort of setup. It's, it's amazing to watch. And as you say, um, some of the entertainment has been so taken away from the game with VAR and this slow, ponderous analysis and everything else that it's just nice to have moments where you jump out of your chair or your sofa or whatever yeah. and just appreciate the purity of the game again. And Odegaard is one of those. Right, um, Paul, before we wrap it up, let's. Uh, we're seven points clear. It's a collective we, because we know Paul is a toffee, but he's an adopted Arsenal uh, guy, <laughs> and he's a he's our friend. So we we just call him one of ours, okay? So uh, if you if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Um, right, uh, seven points clear, Brighton away on thirty first. Let's have a look at that one. That is normally a bit of a tricky one for the Arsenal. It's not a nice place to go. Uh, you know, no one enjoys going there because uh, they're quite a savvy team. That uh, that Brighton. Yeah, I, I think I think once again it's, it's going quite a, a difficult game. I, I Brighton had a really good win against, against Southampton uh, yesterday for one. Uh, I know they played really well when they drew three each against Liverpool and Anfield, and they, they got a goal score. Here we go. I've got to put another ten p in the meeting. Something's <laughs> going on. <laughs> they got a goal score on the team. Now, I'm always using Petr Trosso. I think he's a really, really good, good player. He's a great player. Yeah, my, I don't know if McAllister's going to be back from the World Cup for that game or not. Obviously, from an Arsenal perspective, you, you, you prefer him not to be to arrive back from the World Cup. Uh, yes, it's going to be a difficult game. There's definitely, as I said, there's definitely goals in the Brighton team. I think defensively, they're not the strongest. I think that that really is kind of be, going to be where the game is won or lost from Arsenal's perspective because I think Arsenal will have chances and then you just need to maintain the consistent finishing that they showed in the game against West Ham. But you know, you, you kind of hope that Danny Welbeck's not fit to play because there's the curse of the ex-player coming back to score against you as well. Uh, but yeah, no he couldn't Arsenal. normally for Arsenal. He couldn't hit a cow's ass <laughs> with a banjo. But I I, I, yeah, he's going to get two or three. It's the curse of the ex-player. Isn't it? You just know, you know they're, they're going to score. They're going to score when they get the opportunity to play against their own side like that. So it, it, it will be a difficult game. But I, I think you no. Know, I think you have to make the decision that, you know, in terms of the league position, I think Arsenal's about 17 points ahead of Brighton in the table at the moment, something like that. So really, they're the ones going in full of confidence. And I, I can see, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a routine uh, victory for Arsenal, but I can definitely see, you know, certainly win maybe 2-1 or 2-0. Or I, I think they've just got too much for Brighton at this, at this stage. And I think that the momentum is clearly, is clearly with Arsenal at the moment. Uh, now, Paul, you're Mikel Arteta. You're looking towards January. Uh, Trossard, yes. he's got to be worth a punt, hasn't he? He's Premier League ready. He's proven oh, yeah. he can score a goal. He's a tidy player. You go for him? 
But I, I think I mentioned this probably a few weeks ago that if you're looking for somebody with Premier probably League... Probably I wasn't listening. <laughs> well, no one ever does me. You said, but... Uh, <laughs> Joking. Yeah, it's just, just like being at home. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Be like in the, in the lounge with the wife. <laughs> it's... Um, he, he's a really good player. You know, he's a goal scorer for but but he's more than just a goal scorer as well. And I mean, I'm sure Brighton would be be looked into to to sell him. But you know, it, it it'd be a few quid as well, wouldn't he? They do, yeah, like, yeah. I, I think I think at this stage of the season, given the position that Arsenal, I mean, I, I know we touched on before about you know this previous year of money being squandered on players who didn't quite deliver for big money fees and long contract. But I think. The Arsenal now is different from Arsenal four or five years ago in terms of recruitment. I think Eddie's done a really good job in identifying the players who, who would fit into Arteta's preferred system of playing. So I, I think Trossard is the type of person who would fit into that, 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 that kind of system as well. So, you know, at some stage, you might, you know, it, it might be a case of saying, look, you know, if we invest in this guy now, then you know, we're going to be the dividends towards the end of the season. So yeah, he's, he's definitely one that, that should be under consideration in my view. I tell you what, uh, when people talk about Edu, if you haven't seen All or Nothing uh, with that whole Abamyang saga, uh, to be honest, I've seen a couple of uh, All or Nothings with different teams, but when you watch this, it, it's unmissable. There's a bit of drama there, but Edu's right there, and he's really doing his bit, and he's he's it kind of opened up the whole thing of the club, the ethos of the the new ethos of the club the way they operate and what they're looking for in players. And I was deadly impressed with Edu. I wasn't so sure before because uh, I'd been tainted by Raul. Um, yes. you know, <laughs> oh, 75 million for a 35 million player is my nice new yacht. Um, that, that kind of shenanigans going on. Um, yeah, I think uh, getting back to the point, Trossard, brilliant player, and he's Premier League ready. And if we've got the money, I don't know what it's going to cost. But Brighton always milk it, don't they? Uh, so it's yeah, probably yeah. 40 million of anyone's money. Um, so the next one up after that is Newcastle, January the 3rd. <sighs> Eddie Howe, he needs his wrist slapped, doesn't he? He's doing a good old job there, isn't he? he, he he's actually done far best than I anticipated, uh, Tom. So, uh, he, he really has. And I was looking at the Newcastle lineup you know, for the game against Leicester yesterday. And I'm thinking, well, there's no, there's no, no it, it's not screaming standout tops. Top star quality, but they played really well as a team. They're well organised. Uh, they, they give very few op- chances to, to the opposition. They take the chance as well. And you know, uh, Almiron, who was getting mocked by Jack Grealish towards the end of last season, suddenly is on this flurry of goal scoring. He seems absolutely unstoppable. Oh, he seems unstoppable at the moment. And they've got real strength in depth now. They've got players coming back from injury, so. I think that you know, that is going to be a really fascinating game to watch because uh, almost unnoticed, you know, Newcastle A have crept up the second, but they've only really lost once all season. I mean, and they shunned a lot. They were actually robbed at Liverpool, like most teams are sometimes. But uh, it, it really was, uh, they've really done far, far better than I think most people anticipate. And it's a credit to Howe's skills as a coach because I think there was always a question mark over Eddie Howe after Bournemouth got relegated that maybe you know, he peaked with Bournemouth and he wasn't going to be able to repeat that success elsewhere. And he clearly wasn't he wasn't Newcastle's first choice as coach. I think he was Emery. Emery is the coach, didn't he? Initially, they, they made the approach for him. But yeah. it's kind of it's kind of worked out better for him. So <clears throat> I think that's going to be a, a really, really, you know, uh, from a neutral perspective, seeing how that game develops is going to be it's going to be fascinating to watch it. It really is. And once again, it's another test of Arsenal's abilities, but once again, 
home advantage, top of the league, good run of form. You, you have to take these opportunities. Uh, as you say, El Miron and uh, Joel Linton as well. I mean, I don't yeah. know what's happened to that that guy because he was he was bang average at one point, wasn't he? He wasn't putting in a performance. Mm-hmm. Eddie Howe's uh, dragged it out of him. It's yeah. it's these new young managers with their new approaches, perhaps. That's that's yeah. the way the game's going. Yeah, I mean, you, you can certainly see similarities between Eddie Howe's approach and Mikel Arteta's approach, saying that the, the, the way they've, they've transformed the, the way the team plays with verve and confidence. And uh, they're prepared to, to to gamble on youth as well, and uh, and to work with players to make them better players. Which I think Joe Linton and Almond are two examples of players who last season probably most Premier League teams wouldn't have looked at, but suddenly now you think you know they're not bad. The thing about Newcastle as well was uh, when this other group came in and took over and all that. Obviously, they had bottomless pit of money, and everyone thought, "Oh, here we go," you know, they're just going to chuck money at this cash cow. And, and, and kind of buy every really, really good player. But they've been very measured, very controlled. They've bought some bargains along the way as well, haven't they? With experience, Trippier, um, they've got him in. He's played a blinder for them. I don't particularly uh-huh. like him myself, but you know, they've been solid yeah. and he's mixed them in with what he had already. And yeah. he, he shows no signs of trying to run out and buy, uh, Lionel Messi or anything like that. There's a different vibe going now, and it's more about what's happening at the club, and less about just buying willy nilly because it doesn't work, does it? We've, no. we've all seen it. You've squandered I mean, no. God knows how much, and we've squandered the same. Tell me about it. And I think so, as we've you know, we can discuss on this podcast, it's about the team ethos, isn't it? You can have as many. No, I think Aubameyang did the classic example. Like you can have as many star players on the team as you want, but if they don't buy into the team ethos, if they don't buy into the manager's philosophy, then what's the point of having them in the? What's the point of having them in the team? So, yeah, I think Hans Rukun has been being spot on. I think he bought Dan Burns from Brighton uh, last January, who I didn't particularly him as that good a player, but he, he's brought a real solidity to that Newcastle defence as well that, that he didn't have before. So, it, yeah, it's, uh, it would, I just, I, I just think Eddie Howe, maybe, maybe Michael, Michael Artes is the same, that they're far more comfortable dealing with players they feel they can, they can improve than bringing in big star players who they worry are going to, in the end, turn up being negative influence on the club rather than positive one. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Aubameyang going back to all or nothing as well because he he sort of stayed away, should have come back and then Mikel ripped him a new one. And then he was kind of taking the piss in his car outside, his nice yeah. new flash the car, sort of laughing. Yeah. And I just wanted to crawl through the screen and punch him. Uh, yeah. Obviously not the right thing to do as a supporter, <laughs> but he really annoyed me. So, yeah, it's big uh, Charlie Potatoes. Uh, uh, FA Cup against Oxford. That'll be a nice little money spinner for Oxford. And hopefully we won't catch cold on that. Uh, then we've got Spurs on the 15th before we get to Man City. For me, Paul, out of those games coming up, it's obviously the City one that we haven't mentioned. That's at home at the Emirates and Newcastle. I think they are going to give us some real indication. We're in a right fight with those two clubs. And if we come out of there, I, I mean, last season, we played City off the park. We really yeah, did. I, 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 uh, I before that. Gabriel got sent off for some nonsense. But, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. What's your point of view on those two games? Because I think they are going to be crucial. I think, no, uh, from an Arsenal perspective, I, I think you'd be quite happy with, with four points from six from those uh, I, I mean, the, the City game, I mean, I, I kind of remember going back to a situation, I think towards the end of the 90s, when Newcastle were ahead of the table and they were playing Man United. 
and Keegan Callum went for bus to try and beat United. In the end, a draw would have suited Newcastle better, but they lost the game one 0 by taking the game to United. I think the Arsenal City game is going to be going to be um, intriguing to watch because it might well be that if you've still got the seven point gap there, it's more important not to lose than win because you're keeping the seven point gap there. If you see what I mean, uh, so I think. You know, I, I'd, I'd expect Arsenal to beat Newcastle. I think a draw at home against City at that stage of the season, with the, if the seven point gap is still there, is actually quite a good result. Obviously, a win would be perfect, but you know, at some stage this season, that there's going to be a bit of a hit. There's going to be an, an underpart function in somebody. But uh, yeah, it's just, I think I saw about this from the Sun last night about the importance of the West Ham game yesterday because. It's not necessarily how you do against your rival teams in the big six that decides the title. It's how you do against the team outside the big six. It's dropping points against those teams that can sometimes cost you the title rather than dropping points against, against your rivals. Uh, so for example, um, City lost a home 2-1 to Brentford. Well, that's the kind of game you want to avoid dropping points at home against Brentford. So, you know, although these games are massively important in terms of psychological events, I think, to me, it's equally as important to keep you focused for the game against so-called lesser teams in the Premier League to make sure that when you play them, you take the three points. Yeah, I don't want to make too much of this seven-point lead because that, that's not enough. I mean, if it was 17 points, I'd be a bit more excited. But uh, seven points, that could just disappear in the blink of an eye. So it's yeah, about consistency. Well, seven points, two games to go is not a bad position to be in, you know, Tom. That's all right. Yeah, I don't mind that one. <laughs> so uh, we've got the transfer window coming up uh, Sunday, January uh, the 1st, 2023, and it closes at 11 p.m. on Tuesday, January the 31st. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of action in the Premier League, isn't it? Um, I expect us to get at least two players. Um, from your point of view, with your situation with Everton, you must be hoping they're going to draft some sort of uh, striker in immediately, mustn't you? Yeah, I think I think both I think both clubs from a different perspective uh, uh, in a market where there's very scarce commodities available at the moment uh, at the right price of the right deal. Um, so I think from Everton's perspective, yes, undoubtedly, you know, a, a striker is going to be required. Uh, sadly, because of the millions have been squandered over the years. You know, Everton are not in a position to, to go on and bring in a big money signing, which might not actually might not be a bad thing. Uh, so I, I think you, you're possibly looking at a, at a loan signing, or you know, I always have this thing that sometimes you know, there might just be somebody top level in the championship. You might just put what, 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 like what West Ham did with, with, with Jared Bowen two seasons ago, um, like, like Brentford did with even Tony. You know, the 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 people out there if you have got the right recruitment teams to bring in. So yeah, we definitely strength. I think I think as we just. On before Tom, you know, to maintain the title challenge, um, particularly if that you know, you're still in Europe, you, you're still in the FA Cup, you need to have strength and depth to be able to cope with. We're the normally out of everything by December. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a breath of fresh air. <laughs> Enjoy it while it lasts. You know, we're all <laughs> normally having to draft them out the back rooms <laughs> to try and fill the team because we've we've got so many injured. That's that's how it normally shapes for us. Uh, yeah, it's going to be an exciting time. It's going to be one of those ones where, as an Arsenal supporter, you're just thinking, surely they've learnt from last season. Surely they're going to make a splash, get two or three players uh, and just top it up. Because as, as we said earlier on, that bench is woefully thin. 
it's like a bit of cling film. It's terrible. It and the further we go into all these different areas, FA Cup, Europa, still trying to keep hold of the Premier League uh, number one position, um, we're going to be found out quite quickly, I would imagine. But I don't think Edu is uh, going to make that mistake this time with Arteta. I think they've already identified uh, this Mudrick. He keeps getting um, <coughs> sort of named, doesn't he, and yeah, linked yeah. with the club. Um, have you seen him, Paul? Have you seen uh, anything on YouTube? Uh, 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 I'd be struggling to, to give you an insight into in him really, Tommy. He's not, he's not someone hugely familiar. Thank God for that. It's normally Jay that does this to me. <laughs> um, I, I, just to let the podcast family know, I've actually seen quite a lot of footage because he keeps getting mentioned. You get, well, yeah. What's special about this guy? So he can actually work on the flanks or as a, a, as a striker as well. So... Um, he's he's filling two roles there. I think Arteta's got that in his mind. Mm-hmm. And I really do think we're going to have a pump for him. Uh, there's been other names mentioned, but they're not as solid. And uh, But we know we need a defensive midfielder and a winger bare minimum to cover Saka if anything happens to him uh, or Martinelli. We're in banging trouble. Um, right, so we will hook up again, sir, uh, after the next game, uh, if not before. We're like that. Uh, we'll have Jay back, surely. Uh, we'll have Lauren back. Uh, we'll have Connor back on the audio podcast. Thank you very much for all your uh, subscriptions. Uh, the audio podcast has had 11,000, nearly 12,000 downloads. So thank you very much for that, for supporting us. Um, you can subscribe to the YouTube version or you can like and follow the audio version. Every single one counts. And I can't say it enough, but thank you so much. You've been a, a, a brilliant season for us so far, personally. Um, Paul, you look after yourself, sir, and uh, I will see you shortly. Um, get yourself an extra big box of tissues, the way Everton are playing, <laughs> and, and one of those sponge bricks that when you're watching from home, you can throw it at the TV without doing any damage. That's true, Tom, but I'm, I'm sure you'd be supporting this at the weekend because we're playing away at Man City. Absolutely. I'm, I'm suddenly a Toffees fan. Don't you know? <laughs> you look after yourself, mate. Cheers. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having us, Joe. Always do a conversation. Thank you Always so much. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. The two musketeers. <laughs> Who needs sleep? Yeah. Well, they're all off partying somewhere, aren't they? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> Take care. It's a footballer's dream to lift the FA Cup. In the process and uh, in that joyous moment, quite a few have found the lid, the cup and the base impossible to handle. The lid and the base often part company with the cup, making it one of the most accident-prone trophies in sport. Yet there are measures in place to keep it looking buffed and dent-free. That task has fallen to Kevin Williams for the last 17 years. Kevin is a master silversmith at Thomas Lyle Silver. Williams and his team work on the cup to make sure the inevitable knocks and scuffs just disappear. Kevin said someone once dropped it, bent it, and then it came apart in their hands when they tried to straighten it. He refused to name the team responsible, but admitted with a grin that it happened in recent years. Their faces must have been a picture when it happened. Uh, Fortunately, we put it right. Restoration work is the trickiest part of this job, he says. When you're given something as precious as the FA Cup, which the nation treasures, or a personal item that a family treasures, you have to take responsibility seriously. The last thing you want is to turn a flame on something and it 
melts into a blob. Well, we do take the point. Accident-prone Carlos Tevez unfortunately wore the lid as a hat in 2011 for City. Charlie George fared no better in 1971, but the king of clumsiness, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, managed to separate the lid, the base and the cup before dropping it and drilling it into the turf in 2019-20. Get your hands off, sir. Leave that cup alone. It gets worse. It fell from its plinth after Portsmouth won it in 2009, while the Chavs, the Chelsea boys, dropped it from their bus after winning it the previous year. Portsmouth decided to take the FA Cup on a tour of 60 schools. Why would you do that? Why would you subject yourself to it? Kevin's colleague Tony let slip in a local newspaper. When it came back, it was the worst it had ever been. Now then, it's time for a jingle from Doug and Dave, a very reasonably priced Chaz and Dave tribute act. Break out the jelly dudes! Down the Emirates, you'll see the Samba boys go make some noise and swear at the referee. Down the Emirates, you'll be as entertained as you could ever be. Down the Emirates, you scoff your food, you sink a beer and queue for the lavatory. Down the Emirates, you can keep the cost of Brava. I'm telling you, mate, I'd rather be in North London to support the football team. My thanks to Silent Dave. You can find him on Twitter as SilentDave101. And that's where you can also find Jay as the ball gooner. You can cosy up with Connor at ConnorJack2. Paul is at PMACCap. And Lauren is at LaurenD2710. The podcast is on every social media outlet, including Facebook, Twitter and TikTok. Please subscribe to the YouTube version and like and follow the audio version. Shout outs to Brandon Murphy, Dave Miller at Arsenal Attic, Simon DC at Gunners for Life, which is twin to the podcast. Look up arsedevils.com for the latest Arsenal news and opinions. A big thanks from the podcast team to all of you for your support and emails, whether you watch or listen. Every subscription and every follow counts. Until next time, look after yourself and each other and remember North London is most certainly red. Uh-huh.